There cometh the time when man will no longer give birth to any star. Alas, there cometh the time of the most despicable man, who can no longer despise himself. Lo, I show you the last man. What is love? What is creation? What is longing? What is a star? So asketh the last man, and blinketh. The earth hath then become small, and on it there hoppeth the last man who maketh everything small. His species is ineradicable like that of the ground flea. The last man liveth longest. We have discovered happiness, say the last men, and blink thereby. They have left the regions where it is hard to live, for they need warmth. One still loveth one's neighbor and rubbeth against him, for one needeth warmth. I began to develop a different comic voice and a, and a different perspective. Um, you know, comedy, stand-up comedy is a low art. It's it's a vulgar art. It's an art of the people. It's not. But it's an art. But it is an art. It's, it, it has to do with interpreting the world as you see it, and then writing something, and then delivering it verbally. Uh, and I found a very liberating position for myself as an artist, and that was, I sort of gave up on the human race and gave up on the American dream and culture and nation, and decided that I didn't care about the outcome. And that gave me a lot of freedom. One is always too many about me, thinketh the anchorite. Always once one, that maketh two in the long run. I and me are always too earnestly in conversation. How could it be endured if there were not a friend? You have to be realistic about terrorism. Certain groups of people, certain groups, Muslim fundamentalist, Christian fundamentalist, Jewish fundamentalist, and just plain guys from Montana. <laughs> are going to continue to make life in this country very interesting for a long, long time. That's the reality. Angry men in combat fatigues talking to God on a two-way radio and muttering incoherent slogans about freedom are eventually going to provide us with a great deal of entertainment. Especially after your stupid fucking economy collapses. What is love? What is creation? What is longing? What is a star? But I also know that most Americans are soft and frightened and unimaginative and they don't realize there's such a thing as dangerous fun. And they certainly don't recognize a good show when they see one. I have always been willing to put myself at great personal risk for the sake of entertainment. And I've always been willing to put you at great personal risk for the same reason. Alas, there cometh the time when man will no longer launch the arrow of his longing beyond man the string of his bow will have unlearned to whiz. I tell you, one must still have chaos in one to give birth to a dancing star. I tell you, ye have still chaos in you. Because that's what Americans do now. They're always willing to trade away a little of their freedom in exchange for the feeling, the illusion of security. What we have now is a completely neurotic population obsessed with security and safety and crime and drugs and cleanliness and hygiene and germs. There's another thing. The last man liveth longest. We have discovered happiness, say the last men, and blink thereby. What do you think you have an immune system for? It's for killing germs. But it needs practice. It needs germs to practice on. So, so listen. So listen. 
If you kill all the germs around you and live a completely sterile life, then when germs do come along, you're not going to be prepared. And never mind ordinary germs. What are you going to do when some super virus comes along that turns your vital organs into liquid shit? I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to get sick, you're going to die, and you're going to deserve it because you're fucking weak and you got a fucking weak immune system. Now, that the very essence of all civilization is to train out of man the beast of prey, a tame and civilized animal, a domesticated animal. It follows indubitably that we must regard as the real tools of civilization all those instincts of reaction and resentment, the illusion of security, to require of strength that it should not express itself as strength, that it should not be a wish to overpower, a wish to overthrow, a wish to become master, a thirst for enemies and antagonisms and triumphs, is just as absurd as to require of weakness that it should express itself as strength. A quantum of force is just such a quantum of movement, will, action. Rather, it is nothing else than just those very phenomena of moving, willing, acting, and can only appear otherwise in the misleading errors of language and the fundamental fallacies of reason which have become petrified therein, which understands, and understands wrongly, all working as conditioned by a worker. Thucydides in the 5th century BC in the Peloponnesian War, a very vicious civil war in Athens at that time. Thucydides points out that at that time, the very language itself became corrupted to their own ends. Acts of cowardice became acts of great bravery. Traitorous deeds towards friends became patriotic acts and he cites the whole list. And it's interesting that Thucydides cites this corruption of language as the ultimate in horror that occurred during that civil war. Doublespeak is language designed to evade responsibility, make the unpleasant pleasant, the unattractive appear attractive. Basically, it's language that pretends to communicate, but really doesn't. It is language designed to mislead while pretending not to. Is it done consciously? Oh, yes, very consciously. The illusion of security. I think of government as the third oldest profession, and probably from the moment government was instituted, doublespeak came with it. I don't like words that hide the truth. I don't like words that conceal reality. I don't like euphemisms or euphemistic language. And American English is loaded with euphemisms, because Americans have a lot of trouble dealing with reality. But from time to time, do ye grant me Assuming that beyond good and evil, there are goddesses who can grant one glimpse, grant me but one glimpse only, of something perfect, fully realized, happy, mighty, triumphant, of something that still gives cause for fear, a glimpse of a man that justifies the existence of man, a glimpse of an incarnate human happiness that realizes and redeems, for the sake of which one may hold fast to the belief in man. For the position is this, in the dwarfing and leveling of the European man lurks our greatest peril, for it is this outlook which fatigues. We see today nothing which wishes to be greater. We surmise that the process is always still backwards, still backwards towards something more attenuated, more inoffensive, more cunning, more comfortable, more mediocre, more indifferent, more Chinese, more Christian. Man, there is no doubt about it, grows always better. The destiny of Europe lies even in this, that in losing the fear of man, we have also lost the hope in man, yea, the will to be man. The sight of man now fatigues. What is present-day nihilism if it is not that? We are tired of man. 
The last man liveth longest. Our faith in others betrayeth, wherein we would fain have faith in ourselves. Our longing for a friend is our betrayer. And often, with our love, we want merely to overleap envy. And often we attack and make ourselves enemies to conceal that we are vulnerable. Uh, I love people as I meet them one by one. People are, the, are just wonderful as individuals. You see the whole universe in their eyes if you look carefully. But as soon as they begin to group, as soon as they begin to clot... The revolt of the slaves and morals begins in the very principle of resentment, becoming creative and giving birth to values. A resentment experienced by creatures who, deprived as they are of the proper outlet of action, are forced to find their compensation in an imaginary revenge. While every aristocratic morality springs from a triumphant affirmation of its own demands, the slave morality says no from the very outset to what is outside itself, different from itself, and not itself. And this no is its creative deed, this volte face of the valuing standpoint, this inevitable gravitation to the objective instead of back to the subjective, is typical of resentment. The slave morality requires as the condition of its existence an external and objective world. To employ physiological terminology, it requires objective stimuli to be capable of action at all. People are, the, are just wonderful as individuals. You see the whole universe in their eyes if you look carefully. Thou wouldst wear no raiment before thy friend? It is in honor of thy friend that thou showest thyself to him as thou art. But he wisheth thee to the devil on that account. Bring it on, I want to see the circus. So Many a one cannot loosen his own fetters, but is nevertheless his friend's emancipator. Art thou a slave? Then thou canst not be a friend. Art thou a tyrant? Then thou canst not have friends. Bring it on, I want to see the circus. So oh, your poverty, ye men, and your sordidness of soul. As much as ye give to your friend, will I give even to my foe, and will not have become poorer thereby. There is comradeship. May there be friendship. Bring it on, I want to see the circus. So Ye crowd around your neighbor and have fine words for it. But I say unto you, your neighbor love is your bad love of yourselves. Ye flee unto your neighbor from yourselves, and would fain make a virtue thereof. But I fathom your unselfishness. The thou is older than the I. The thou hath been consecrated but not yet the I. So man presseth nigh unto his neighbor. Comedian, we've all seen a lot of comedians who seem to have a political bent in their work. And always implicit in the work is, is some positive outcome, that this is all going to work. If only we do this, if only we pass that yeah. bill, if only we elect him, if only we do that. It's not true. It's, it's circling the drain time for, the, for humans. I believe this. I honestly believe this. Not just as a comedian, he thinks that. He likes yeah, to say that. Yeah. I believe it. Do I advise you to neighbor love? Rather, do I advise you to neighbor flight and to furthest love? Higher than love to your neighbor is love to the furthest and future ones. It's, it's circling the drain time for, the, for humans. I believe that. The one goeth to his neighbor because he seeketh himself, and the other because he would fain lose himself. Your bad love to yourselves maketh solitude a prison to you. The furthest ones are they who pay for your love to the near ones. And when there are but five of you together, a sixth must always die. But as soon as they begin to group, as soon as they begin to clot, 
when there are five of them or ten, or even groups as small as two, they begin to change. They sacrifice the beauty of the individual for the sake of the group. I decided it was all under the control of groups now, whether it's business, religion, political people, or what, and I would distance myself from wishing for a good outcome. I love not your festivals either. Too many actors found I there, and even the spectators often behaved like actors. Not the neighbor do I teach you, but the friend. Let the friend be the festival of the earth to you, and a foretaste of the Superman. I teach you the friend and his overflowing heart, but one must know how to be a sponge if one would be loved by overflowing hearts. I teach you the friend in whom the world standeth complete, a capsule of the good, the creating friend who hath always a complete world to bestow. Acid was my favorite drug. Acid opened up my mind and expanded my mind. Because of acid, I now know that butter is way better than margarine. I saw through the bullshit. When I was on acid, I would see things like beams of light. And I would hear sounds that sounded an awful lot like car horns. And as the world unrolled itself for him, so rolleth it together again for him in rings, as the growth of good through evil, as the growth of purpose out of chance. When you say to yourself, I don't care what happens, it just gives you a broader perspective for the art, for the words to, to emerge, to not care. That's what happened in that 92 show. That's why I could say the planet is fine, the people are... Because the planet will outlast us. It will be here and it will be fine in which every lie is feigned to sanctify itself. The subject, or to use popular language, the soul, has perhaps proved itself the best dogma in the world simply because it rendered possible to the horde of mortal, weak, and oppressed individuals of every kind that most sublime specimen of self-deception, the interpretation of weakness as freedom, as merit. Muttering incoherent slogans about freedom are eventually going to provide us with a great deal of entertainment. We moderns have an advantage over the Greeks in two ideas, which are given, as it were, as a compensation to a world behaving thoroughly slavishly, and yet, at the same time, anxiously eschewing the word slave. Boy, everyone in this country's always running around yammering about their fucking rights. I have a right, you have no right, we have a right, they don't have a right. We talk of the, quote, dignity of man, end quote, and of the, quote, dignity of labor, end quote. Everybody worries in order miserably to perpetuate a miserable existence. This awful need compels him to consuming labor. Folks, I hate to spoil your fun, but there's no such thing as rights, okay? They're imaginary. We made them up. But if you think you do have rights, let me ask you this. Where do they come from? People say, well, they come from God. They're God-given rights. Oh, fuck, here we go again. Here we go again. Out of this awful struggle for existence, only individuals can emerge. And they are at once occupied with the noble phantoms of artistic culture, lest they should arrive at practical pessimism, which nature abhors as her exact opposite. Here in the modern world, in one and the same man, the greed of the struggle for existence and the need for art show themselves at the same time. 
Out of this unnatural amalgamation has originated the dilemma. To excuse and to consecrate that first greed before this need for art. Therefore, we believe in the, quote, dignity of man, end quote, and the, quote, dignity of labor, end quote. Personally, folks, I believe that if your rights came from God, he would have given you the right to some food every day, and he would have given you the right to a roof over your head. God would have been looking out for you. God would have been looking out for you. You know that? The Greeks did not require such conceptual hallucinations. For among them, the idea that labor is a disgrace is expressed with startling frankness. And another piece of wisdom, more hidden and less articulate but everywhere alive, added that the human thing also was an ignominious and piteous nothing. And the quote, dream of a shadow. End quote. Labor is a disgrace, because existence has no value in itself. But even though this very existence in the alluring embellishment of artistic illusions shines forth and really seems to have a value in itself, then that proposition is still valid that labor is a disgrace. A disgrace indeed by the fact that it is impossible for man fighting for the continuance of bare existence, to become an artist. But let's say it's true. Let's say God gave us these rights. Why would he give us a certain number of rights? In modern times, it is not the art-needing man, but the slave who determines the general conceptions. The slave who, according to his nature, must give deceptive names to all conditions in order to be able to live. The Bill of Rights of this country has 10 stipulations, okay? 10 rights. And apparently God was doing sloppy work that week because we've had to amend the Bill of Rights an additional 17 times. So God forgot a couple of things like slavery. Just fucking slipped his mind. Such phantoms as the dignity of man the dignity of labor, are the needy products of slavedom hiding itself from itself. Let's say God gave us the original 10. He gave the British 13. The British Bill of Rights has 13 stipulations. The Germans have 29. The Belgians have 25. The Swedish have only six. And some people in the world have no rights at all. What kind of a fucking goddamn God-given deal is that? No rights at all? Why would God give different people in different countries different numbers of different rights? Boredom? Now the slave must vainly scrape through from one day to another with transparent lies, recognizable to everyone of deeper insight, such as the alleged, quote, equal rights of all, end quote, or the so-called, quote, fundamental rights of man, end quote. Amusement? Bad arithmetic? Do we find out at long last, after all this time, that God is weak in math skills? Doesn't sound like divine planning to me. Sounds more like human planning. Sounds more like one group trying to control another group. In other words, business as usual. The feeling of shame 
seems therefore to occur, where man is merely a tool of manifestations of will infinitely greater than he is permitted to consider himself in the isolated shape of the individual. Now we have the general idea to which are to be subordinated the feelings which the Greek had with regard to labor and slavery. Both were considered by them as a necessary disgrace, of which one feels ashamed as a disgrace and as a necessity at the same time. Amusement? Accordingly, we must accept this cruel-sounding truth, that slavery is of the essence of culture. A truth, of course, which leaves no doubt as to the absolute value of existence. This truth is the vulture that gnaws at the liver of the Promethean promoter of culture. The misery of toiling men must still increase in order to make the production of the world of art possible to a small number of Olympian men. And rights aren't rights if someone can take them away. They're privileges. That's all we've ever had in this country is a bill of temporary privileges. And if you read the news even badly, you know that every year the list gets shorter and shorter and shorter. You see how Yeah. Sooner or later, the people in this country are going to realize the government does not give a fuck about them. Government doesn't care about you or your children or your rights or your welfare or your safety. It simply doesn't give a fuck about you. It's interested in its own power. That's the only thing. Keeping it and expanding it wherever possible. Here is to be found the source of that secret wrath, nourished by communists and socialists of all times and also by their feebler descendants, the white race of the, quote, liberals, end quote, not only against the arts, but also against classical antiquity. If culture really rested upon the will of a people, if here inexorable powers did not rule, powers which are law and barrier to the individual, then the contempt for culture, the glorification of a, quote, poorness in spirit, end quote. The iconoclastic annihilation of artistic claims would be more than an insurrection of the suppressed masses against drone-like individuals. It would be the cry of compassion, tearing down the walls of culture, the desire for justice, for the equalization of suffering, would swamp all other ideas. I think one of two things is true. I think either we have unlimited rights or we have no rights at all. Personally, I lean toward unlimited rights. I feel, for instance, I have the right to do anything I please. But if I do something you don't like, I think you have the right to kill me. So where are you going to find a fairer fucking deal than that? So the next time some asshole says to you, I have a right to my opinion, you say, oh yeah, well I have a right to my opinion, and my opinion is you have no right to your opinion. Then shoot the fuck and walk away. Thank you.
Here again we see with what pitiless inflexibility nature, in order to arrive at society, forges for herself the cruel tool of the state. Namely, that conqueror with the iron hand, who is nothing else than the objectivation of the instinct indicated by the indefinable greatness and power of such conquerors, the spectator feels that they are only the means of an intention manifesting itself through them and yet hiding itself from them. Boredom? Amusement? Bad arithmetic? Now, when we see how little the vanquished trouble themselves after a short time about the horrible origin of the state, so that history informs us of no class of events worse than the origins of those sudden, violent, bloody, and at least in one point, inexplicable usurpations. When hearts involuntarily go out toward the magic of the growing state, with the presentiment of an invisible, deep purpose, when, now, the state is even contemplated with fervor as the goal and ultimate aim of the sacrifices and duties of the individual, the illusion of security, then, out of all that speaks the enormous necessity of the state without which nature might not succeed in coming through society to her deliverance in semblance, in the mirror of the genius. What discernments does the instinctive pleasure in the state not overcome? The illusion of security. One would indeed feel inclined to think that a man who looks into the origin of the state will henceforth seek his salvation at an awful distance from it. And where can one not see the monuments of its origin? Devastated lands? Destroyed cities? Brutalized men? Devouring hatred of nations? The state of ignominiously low birth for the majority of men, a continually flowing source of hardship. At frequently recurring periods, the consuming torch of mankind. And yet a word, at which we forget ourselves. A battle cry, which has filled men with enthusiasm for innumerable, really heroic deeds. Perhaps the highest and most venerable object, for the blind, and egoistic multitude which only in the tremendous moments of state life has the strange expression of greatness on its face. The illusion of security. And once thou art awake, then shalt thou ever remain awake. It is not my custom to awake great-grandmothers out of their sleep that I may bid them sleep on. Bring it on, I want to see the circus. So, And ye looked on at it all, Oh, mine animals, are ye also cruel? Did ye like to look at my great pain as men do? For man is the cruelest animal. At tragedies, bullfights, and crucifixions hath he hitherto been happiest on earth. And when he invented his hell, behold, that was his heaven on earth. When the great man crieth, immediately runneth the little man thither, and his tongue hangeth out of his mouth for very lusting. He, however, calleth it his pity, the little man, especially the poet, 
How passionately doth he accuse life in words! Hearken to him, but do not fail to hear the delight which is in all accusation. You can really summarize 150 years of biological research since Charles Darwin in three words. Organisms are algorithms. But do not fail to hear the delight which is in all accusation. Let it do what it's going to do, and I'll enjoy it as an entertainment. And I'll reflect on what it is on its own. And I'll enjoy it for the entertainment. There's a little bit of a sick part in this, too. I root for the big comet. I root for the big asteroid to come and make things right. That's the way I put it. Stir things up. Yes, to get us back where we were before the first one came and knocked out these dinosaurs and let the ferrets we're grow We're talking up. about comets on this show tonight. I know. Uh, and I'm, I'm rooting for that big one to come right through that hole in the ozone layer because I want to see it on CNN. See, I'm here for the entertainment, Charlie. I am. People, philosophers say, why are we here? I know I am here. For the entertainment the show. But do not fail to hear the delight which is in all accusation. It is only the artists who hate this lazy wandering in borrowed manners and ill-fitting opinions and discover the secret of the evil conscience. The truth that each human being is a unique marvel. They show us how in every little movement of his muscles the man is an individual self. And further, as an analytical deduction from his individuality, a beautiful and interesting object. A new and incredible phenomenon, as is every work of nature, that can never become tedious. If the great thinker despise mankind, it is for their laziness. They seem mere indifferent bits of pottery, not worth any commerce or improvement. Organisms are algorithms. Yet in respect of an age that rests its salvation on public opinion, that is, on private laziness, one must be quite determined that such a time shall be killed once and for all. I mean that it shall be blotted from life's true history of liberty. Later generations will be greatly disgusted when they come to treat the movements of a period in which no living men ruled but shadow men on the screen of public opinion. And to some far posterity, our age may well be the darkest chapter of history, the most unknown because the least human. I have walked through the new streets of our cities and thought how of all the dreadful houses that these gentlemen, with their public opinion, have built for themselves, not a stone will remain in a hundred years, and that the opinions of these busy masons may well have fallen with them. Organisms are algorithms. Our age may well be the darkest chapter of history, the most unknown because the least human. That organisms, whether viruses or bananas or humans, they are really just biochemical algorithms. And we are learning how to decipher these algorithms. The least human. You will not be able to hide from Amazon and Alibaba and the secret police. In this particular show, everyone is on their care. Everyone is always making things. I, I defend them and blame it on the people. This is where it belongs. You and get like what I, you deserve. Yeah, you get what you do, and you deserve what you get. <laughs> and I have a slogan, the public sucks. And it works nicely, and people accept it. Not, not, not very enthusiastically, but they understand that it says we the people in that preamble. It doesn't say them the thises and those the thats. It says, but do not fail to hear the delights which is in all accusation. New technological revolutions, especially AI and machine learning, 
might swing the pendulum in the opposite direction. They might make centralized data processing far more efficient than distributed data processing. And if democracy cannot adapt to these new conditions, then humans will come to live under the rule of digital dictatorships. Many politicians, at least, are like musicians. And the instrument they play on is the human emotional and biochemical system. A politician gives a speech, and there is a wave of fear all over the country. A politician tweets, and there is an explosion of anger and hatred. Now, I don't think we should give these musicians more sophisticated instruments to play on. And I certainly don't think they are ready to be entrusted with the future of life in the universe. Especially as many politicians and governments seem incapable of producing meaningful visions for the future. And instead, what they sell the public are nostalgic fantasies about going back to the past. Um, well, you think I'm just some random guy. I'm just uh, trying to sell myself as somebody who is friendly with the American audience. I believe you are backed by people that want people to be more comfortable with robot dogs. I believe that. I believe you're pushed to be the happy face of AI. Which know? is why I will edit this part face. out. Such accusers of life, them life overcometh with a glance of the eye. Thou lovest me, saith the insolent one. Wait a little, as yet have I no time for thee. Towards himself, man is the cruelest animal. And in all who call themselves sinners and bearers of the cross and penitents, do not overlook the voluptuousness in their plaints and accusations. So if I want to experience pleasant feelings, I have to constantly chase them while constantly driving away the unpleasant feelings. Even if I succeed, I immediately have to start all over again without ever getting any lasting reward for all my troubles. Because these pleasant feelings from five minutes ago, they are gone. I have again and again and again to chase them to get them. Lest they should arrive at practical pessimism, which nature abhors as her exact opposite, all other citizens of the state are in the dark about what nature intends with her state instinct within them. And they follow blindly. Not being able to create art, they will not understand art. They will consider their failure as creators only as a failure of the world. Only those who stand outside this instinct know what they want from the state and what the state is to grant them. The real root of suffering is this never-ending and pointless pursuit of ephemeral feelings which causes us to be in a constant state of tension, of restlessness and dissatisfaction. And I myself, do I thereby want to be man's accuser? Ah, mine animals, this only have I learned hitherto, that for man his baddest is necessary for his best. That all that is baddest is the best power, and the hardest stone for the highest creator, and that man must become better and badder. Not to this torture stake was I tied, 
that I know man is bad, but I cried as no one hath yet cried. Ah, that his baddest is so very small, ah, that his best is so very small. The great disgust at man, it strangled me and had crept into my throat, and what the soothsayer had presaged, all is alike, nothing is worth while, knowledge strangleth. The least human. A long twilight limped on before me, a fatally weary, fatally intoxicated sadness, which spake with yawning mouth. The least human. Eternally he returneth, the man of whom thou art weary, the small man. So yawned my sadness, and dragged its foot, and could not go to sleep. The least human. A cavern became the human earth to me, its breast caved in. Everything living became to me human dust and bones and mouldering past. I root for the big asteroid to come and make things right. <laughs> My sighing sat on all human graves and could no longer arise. You get what you do and you deserve what you get. <laughs> My sighing and questioning croaked and choked and gnawed and nagged day and night. Ah, man returneth eternally. The small man returneth eternally. The real root of suffering is this never-ending and pointless pursuit. I saw through the bullshit. <laughs> Butter is way better than margarine. No, no, there's a one in billions chance that this is base reality. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, this, this, that seems to be, like, clearly what the, you know, what, the, what, it, what it suggests. Right. And, and actually, I mean, arguably we should hope that that's true, because otherwise, if, if civilization stops advancing, then that may be due to some calamitous event that erases civilization. So maybe we should be hopeful that this is a simulation because otherwise... Because they could reboot it. Well, otherwise, e either we're going to create simulations that are indistinguishable from reality or civilization will cease to exist. Those are the two options. The least human. Well, maybe we're in a simulation right now. The least human. Naked had I once seen both of them, the greatest man and the smallest man, all too like one another all too human, even the greatest man. All too small, even the greatest man. That was my disgust at man. And the eternal return also of the smallest man. That was my disgust at all existence. Ah, disgust, disgust, disgust. Thus spake Zarathustra, and sighed and shuddered, for he remembered his sickness. Then did his animals prevent him from speaking further. Do not speak further, thou convalescent. So answered his animals, but go out where the world waiteth for thee like a garden. 